Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast, the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT to discuss their lives, their journeys and their ambitions with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. Would you concur with that statement, Lee, that it is the greatest motorsporting event in the world? Concur. Why do we think it's the most, the greatest motorsporting event in the world? Because it's my favourite one. Well, I was hoping you were going to segue into the fact that... Don't we don't care have, about anyone else's we, opinion. <laughs> we have got, uh, coming up next... I'm slightly nervous about this one. I would be because this is your job. Your job is like... At what point do you ever have to... I might throw you under the bus. <laughs> At what point do you ever have to interview, technically interview your own boss for entertainment purposes? You don't, do you? I just choose your words. Like, imagine if Neil came to you and had to interview you. Oh, the pressure he'd be under. I know. But I'm quite an intimidating... Yeah. That, you know what yeah. I mean? You know, when people talk about walking into the room with like Mike Tyson and them, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, it's a... the personality walks in the room before the person. Oh, yeah, two days before. Yeah, your uh, your reputation precedes itself. Is that what is that what they say? Why are we talking about this? I don't know because you're self. You're nervous. I'm not nervous. You are. You're I mean, sweating. Technically, we've we've already pre-recorded this, so I know exactly what happens. So you know you've already Let's lost your job. <laughs> You know what? I'm. I'm. This is the. This is the one podcast I've been nervous about more so than Michael Dunlop. Paul Phillips, welcome to the TT podcast. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm really good. I was thinking how how best to intro you. Um, head of motorsport on the Isle of Man. Is that essentially the Bernie Eccleston of the TT? Right. Um. Not really. Um, no. He owned it. I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I work on it. But it, yeah. essentially, it's yours. You are the. You are the top dog. You're as high as it gets, um, Well, in terms of the TT, mm-hmm. um, I'm responsible for the current strategy for creating it and implementing it. But, um, you know, we're different. We're unique in terms of sport and motorsport, but sport generally that we're a government doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're answerable to both in terms of executive but politically as well you know and it's really unique there is nothing I don't know of any other government in the world that delivers sport lots of governments support sport and pay for sport to happen and create companies to deliver sport it's like you know the London Olympics government did that but they created something to do it Mm -hmm. but in the Alaman we actually as government do it yeah you're a big massive fan of the the TT podcast aren't you well Number one fan. Uh, huge fan of it, Chris, yeah. yeah. I listen, I, to be fair, I think I've listened to every episode, so, yeah. More like quality control, probably. That's a low blow, straight well, away. Well, the fact that we're still here, or at least I'm still here, yeah. uh, that speaks volumes for me. That'll do for me. <laughs> What's your favourite episode? Ah, um, you put me on the spot. Yep. Possibly uh, Dr. Gareth Davies, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. And it was largely nothing to do with the TT, but he's a fascinating guy, and a fascinating. And I thought I listened to that uh, on on a plane, and um, yeah, it's, it's, I expected it to be fascinating, and it was. Yeah, and, and I don't. Do you know what? I don't even think we really dug into. I think there was no. more in there. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's remarkable. <laughs> yeah, but as you know, we always start the podcast with the same question: the tap on the shoulder. Obviously, you've never received the tap on the shoulder. So, what what is your tap on the shoulder moment? during a TT is it the first time a rider goes off the thing with my position in TT is that like 
sometimes, you know, when the events are and stuff, and my wife will say, what did you do today? And I actually, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, actually. You know, like, you just, it's like a firefighting thing. And um, many of the time, I might be on the grid when those taps on the shoulder happens, and many of the time, I might not be. But um, it's something that always gives me a huge amount of apprehension and nerves, I have to say, you know, there's, there's for, for a whole range of reasons. Yeah. I can remember uh, 20, 2022, um, I, I, missed the f- I missed the start of the first qualifying session because I, gr- I was at Green Light watching live TV happen for the first time. Um, but I think I was there at the second session. I just remember thinking, you know, you do all this stuff. We've been at, for that one, we've been working three years to get there. And, and you kind of control everything up to that point and then everything's in the lap of the gods. Yeah, it's not a nice feeling that you know, like that, because like, you're. I'm not saying you're a, a controlling person, but you're a very organised yeah. person, and that's uh, all of a sudden that's taken no out control. of your hands. You're, yeah, you're gone from being like pretty much in control. Everyone comes to you for a decision. For a, all the answers are well, not all the answers are there, but you're the, where the the book stops efficiently before the government. So yeah. and then that one day that sets off your job turns. It's on just its head. um. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a weird, it's, I don't know how to describe it, you know, and um, I always say to my colleagues, my team, like, we've just got to do the best job of all the stuff that we're in control of mm-hmm. and um, and deal with the uncontrollable stuff and, and you know, when, when the tap on the shoulder happens, it is, well, obviously, there is, there is no, that's not, that's not fair, is it? But there is, a, there is a certain amount that is outside of anybody's control then. But I get, I think, as it's got bigger, particularly the last two years as well, there's like, um, you I get a bit of imposter syndrome, you know, you're like, there's so many moving parts, like ridiculous amount of moving parts now, the scales change so much. And, you know, I can remember driving to work this year on the Sunday morning before the first qualifying session and it was like, it was early, but there was fans all up on the mountain, it was a nice day and I could see all the engineers getting the um, the data points ready for the camera points for the live broadcast and there was marshals getting it and I, you just think, blimey, the, the, the like who thought this was a good idea, yeah. you know, to to let me be sort of in charge of some of it. <laughs> and you, you, but you know, it's 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 just an amazing thing, isn't it? You know, it is. I said to somebody this week that was here, um, and I said, you know, whenever people talk about stuff being unbelievable, and and you know, you might see the TT on YouTube or something that expect that looks spectacular, it looks unbelievable, and and lots of these sort of superlatives are overused. Get but around, when you yeah. when you stand at the side of the TT circuit. Anywhere, it is actually it, unbelievable. Is the only word, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. I I literally went out to watch um the other two evenings ago at Hillbury. I stood there with quite a few German guys or whatever, and there was a, a few Irish guys there. And the, and the, the first bike came through, and I was like, holy! Sh-. And and like I've been coming here for ten years or whatever, right, read yeah. loads of times, and these guys were just laughing at the fact that I was like, it was <laughs> like I'd literally come off the boat, never seen nothing, and it, but that's the fi- so I can't imagine what it must feel like for someone that literally I was joking yesterday says if if you didn't tell someone what was going to happen or what was going to come past and you just set yeah. them at the start oh, yeah. finish line, can yeah. you imagine take the blindfold off, you stand there and just wait to see this. This is complete silence. Your brain would explode. It's this- just like. There's a thing with it, like, it's my ultimate memory, really, of TT growing up, and it's it was, how that was then is exactly how it is now. Everything, you know, so much has changed, yeah. but this one thing's not, not changed, and that's that visceral thing of this bike coming and howling and howling and making, you know, more and more and more noise, and, and then it flashes past, and then a little gap, 
and then another and it kind of keeps reinforcing that point and it's just like if you go to like the Northwest 200 of the Grand Prix which are also really visceral and crazy but the, the mass start thing's different I don't know what it is I think the scale of the TT circuit and you can hear a bike particularly yeah, the first bike for from a mile so I grew up away, yeah. in Solby and we'd always watch in and around Solby as kids and you could probably hear from Balaf and that, yeah, that build, and build and build and build and build and build and it's like yeah, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck now, really. So when when we normally chat, it's rare that we'll actually end up chatting about the TT. Yeah. So it's it's almost like not that you you don't love the TT, but your first love would would be cycling, and I'm sure we'll start talking about cycling <laughs> at some point. But what is your? I guess you've just answered it there. Like, what's your first memory of the TT, and did you love it as a as a kid? Yeah, I, I should say my first love absolutely is the TT. Um, <laughs> Uh, cycling but it's but it's also my job and you have to do things when it's your job that you know differently um uh my first memory of the tt so i grew up on the circuit so my mum and dad's house uh was is on solby straight or was on solby straight um right at the fastest part of the circuit so my bedroom overlooked like it was from here to the kitchen there of the tt circuit um which is about what what six yeah foot something like that um and uh you know growing up it was bigger than Christmas um I grew up in a house where my dad like Lino's my dad my dad is the biggest motorcycle racing fan <laughs> in the world you know he, if there was a scooter race in the car park now he'd be really? there watching it oh, with his yeah. family you know he, he, lo- he, he I seen him the other night we were sitting talking and he he, he loves it he loves he goes that. everywhere to yeah, that he yeah, goes he just, over to Ireland just loves it and um you know our family holidays were to go to Ireland to watch motorbike racing you know and um so we grew up around it um I was very lucky as a young kid I was my parents gave me a lot of freedom around the village and stuff on my BMX and we'd go out and just watch every bit of it and integrate into every single bit of it. But I suppose my earliest memory that I can always think back to would be about, I'm going to say like 1984, 1985. And I can remember being with my dad watching and I could remember that Joey Dunlop was number three, Mick Grant was number 10 and Roger Marshall was number 11. And I'd, you know, that was like the guys that mm-hmm. um, I was always <laughs> looking out for. And then... I can remember TT's back because, you know, I'm going to make me sound ancient, but, you know, people were getting videos then. <laughs> and the TT, I think the, like, TT reviews were, like, 85 onwards. And then, so, like, my dad would get that, like, six months after when it came out, you know. Yeah. And then I'd just watch that all winter, you know. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, it's mid-80s, I guess, yeah. And But no interest in, like, going racing then? Um, so, probably... Um, Got motorbikes quite early, you know, like motorbikes, everything in our house. My dad raced, always had bikes. I had a bike from, I don't know, four or five or whatnot. Uh, and loads of people in the village were into bikes and people raced and whatnot. And you know, Dave Molyneux was in our village and there was loads of guys doing the Max Grand Prix and stuff. And my dad always, I guess, because motorbikes were such a big part of our life, I think he just always, always, always said, and bear in mind, he had been racing, but motorbike racing is for mugs that was always what he said motorbike racing is for mugs you know it's dangerous you never have any money and stuff and I guess when I look back now that was kind of like a brainwash thing yeah, yeah. Uh, and we went motocross yeah. we went motocrossing uh, and we raced motocross for years and years and years and that was like you know you fall off motocross it's safe and it's but I think you know I was always brainwashed away from it and stuff and then when I got to my you know teens later teens and stuff I was I was losing interest my, motocross was never my first love really and um you know, you get to that age, I was playing football a lot, mm-hmm. doing all the other things you start doing and you get to the end of your team. And my mum and dad were spending, you know, my mum and dad didn't have loads of money and they were spending a lot of money on us going motocross racing and I just sort of 
looking back, I did a good thing and I sort of stopped doing it. And, we, mm. and, and I probably, that period is probably the, the least I was into the whole, my whole motorbike passion, you know, like drinking and yeah. all this other stuff and whatnot. But it was still always there. I mean, TT changed yeah. me. So TT was like, growing up, it was like super exciting and it'd be like up for morning practice because we lived on the circuit. You couldn't sleep in. You had to get up, you know. Yeah, you had no choice, yeah. Um, Someone passed your front window <laughs> yeah, at like half probably, five in the morning. That was your alarm. Yeah, yeah like... Um, you can't then, even imagine that now. No, like for... Not, no, no, you're not normal, but like if you're living in your village in England and suddenly half five on a Monday morning some guy comes past your front door at 150 mile an hour <laughs> like if you were hung over or sleeping in or in the middle of a nightmare oh, can you imagine what that would be like you'd be like what That's is it. happening I loved all that I loved all the morning practice stuff and whatnot and then and then you know you get a bit oh and then like then TT became parties yeah. you know so like you know it was the island comes alive and for, it was going out drinking and all, all that yeah. kind, of, kind of stuff um, and then yeah I just slowly slowly got sort of more and more back re-engaged in the whole thing. And I was still going to see quite a lot of motorbike races. I'm going to Ireland a lot. Mm. Yeah, still going to Ireland a lot. I like Ireland. I like the country full stop. Yeah. And I liked ra- racing in Ireland. So, and I started going there. Same thing again. You know, used to go with my dad all the time. Then I started going with the lads. Yeah. And, you know, having a great weekend and all the rest of it. So so then how how does one get into this position where you become the the head of motorsport. Yeah, I think... Because, again, you you were in banking (laughs) as a a job, right? So, yeah. um, Yeah, I was in banking. I worked in a... Well, I got paid (laughs) by a bank. (laughs) I was about to say work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... um, So, bear in mind, I'd kind of grown up around motorbike racing and I just got to know a lot of people, you know, and then I left school and I got a job and then I ended up getting another job in the bank and um, (laughs) it's like... It was the craziest. It was the it was pre banking crash. You know there were different days in banking. Yeah. You know and um, it was just I worked in IT and it was like with a load of lads who I'm still best mates with now. But it was like going on a stag do five days a week. <laughs> it was just mental. <laughs> but it was no good. You know I wasn't I wasn't looking after myself. Like I wasn't eating good. I wasn't I wasn't working hard. You know just because it wasn't what you had a I had no passion. Yeah, a tiny little care. piece was... in this. You know I worked for Barclays, which is just you know gigantic thing and like it made it made no difference if i came in to work or not it actually made no difference (laughs) yeah you know what i mean that's motivation right there (laughs) but um but you know and anyway i i knew a lot of people and i've always felt like i've pretty organized and whatnot um uh and i started helping some people who i knew to like maybe get sponsorship you know in in racing Mm. i I thought like maybe if you did this i didn't necessarily know but maybe thought i could see like how we could do it and do some thing and then i started doing some writing and whatnot and at the time, the TT that I was usually passionate about, so I was talking about sort of 2002, three, four, you know, that period of time, was really at a low ebb. You know, it was, it was, it was not what I felt it ought to be. You know, it wasn't what it wasn't what it was like when I was. Yeah, but mm-hmm. Barty, Barty spoke about this. Yeah, on... it was a poor representation of what I believe it ought to be, and um, and because I was writing for magazines and stuff, I, I started to use that as something to write about. And I, I was quite critical and whatnot. Um, and I guess that caught the attention of somebody. Um, and I think Ian Locker, actually, who I'd become quite friendly with, um, had said, and, and, and Milky had just stopped racing, by the way, he'd had his crash. Uh, uh, and I'd been helping Milky a lot before then, you know, get rides and sponsorship and whatnot. Um, and I think Ian Locker said to what was called the Department of Tourism and Leisure at the time, you've got a guy in the Alaman who could possibly help, and you've got Milky there, you know, and still quite young, then you retired yeah. quite young. 
um, maybe you should talk to them. So, they, so I got, I remember getting invited in uh, by a lady who was chief executive at the time um, and the, 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 the minister of that department at the time. And they said, like, you know, what do you think about the TT? And I just thought, I thought, I didn't, well, you didn't sit on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I wasn't only there. To, I, they asked me the question. I wasn't there for any other reason, you know. Um, and I told them I think all these things are wrong with it. And you, oh, so you didn't appreciate that it was like going to be a job, so you just well, I don't know if it was. Yeah. Um, but I think they were just they were just sort of like reaching out to you know like it wasn't just me that was saying negative things. You know, yeah. like the, the world was saying negative yeah. things at the time. And then they asked if we would do a little bit of like a, a little bit of a project, me and Milky, which we did on the 2005 TT, and it was just mental. You know, like it was it was bad. You know, it was it was bad. <laughs> In in respect, oh, it was just like, it was like, it was 2005. Yeah, but the race was promoted and organised like it was, two, uh, like 1970 probably. Yeah. Right, probably like I wasn't around 1970, but I'm going to get. You know, it was just it had just stood still. And by now, you know, MotoGP was a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sport would be becoming ever more professionalised. We're just tipping to, tiptoeing towards kind of the digital revolution, the start of it. You know, we're yeah. all starting to get an email address, and you know, but yeah. the world was changing a lot, and, and the, the, the 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 TT was was like like cottage industry really was. And um, anyway, did a load of work, and, and I was very passionate about it. Uh, and it was clear that you know it couldn't be left to just being like a, a totally voluntary operated thing and whatnot and, and and some jobs got created and I ended up applying for I, I mean I went from a really well paid job where I had no pressure to a not as well paid job <laughs> where all of a sudden I inherited all this pressure and stress but it was the best thing it was it, I wouldn't always say it was the best thing I did but for me you know as a human being like Christ knows what, where I would have been if I just you know I'd have just been fat lazy sort of computer guy in a bank you know tapping numbers on a on a, on a screen <laughs> yeah but even yeah. for your your mental well-being, you know what I mean. You had no drive, or you had no. So you were, you're like you were, you were clearly searching to help these guys in motorbike racing previously because you're you got nothing out of work. Do you know what I mean? You were doing all I guess things so. to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. It doesn't really matter. I, I just, I've never been able to sit still. You know, I can't. I don't rest very well. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I've seen that. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah. It's just something you've got no. Uh, Worry about there, Chris. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what? The point when you realise that's that's not a problem, just get on yeah. with it and it's fine. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I like to do stuff and, um, uh, and then that, yeah. So that's the long answer to your question. That's how I ended up there, really. So prior to that, there was no such thing as a, a head of motorsport. So who was in the government? Who was kind of looking after it? And yeah, it was really. So there was kind of like a bit of ACU. Yeah. There was a bit of um, civil service, and then there was a bit of um, Max Motorcycle Club, as it was at the time. Mm-hmm. At that time, um, but you know, there was no, there was no, there was no strategy, a plan. There was no, there was no real income. There was no, um, there was no, yeah, there was no direction. There was no, there was no real ambition. It was, it was, it was a very different time. Yeah. Do you, do you think that all? Dwindle from I know it was quite a bit earlier, but when it was massive and they didn't need to do anything, you know, like when it was still part of the world championship calendar and all these things, and then nobody really thought to pick the slack up to to move it forward or it just got into that position because there was a lack of communication between three yeah, different. Yeah, I think um, any kind of product which TT ultimately is for for some people kind of goes through these dips and troughs and whatnot, yeah. don't you? And sometimes I think. 
Um, and you see this in all walks of life. Sometimes things have got to get really bad before they can get better. And I think the, 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 the decline in TT was a at least a two-decade process. Yeah. You know, and it was gradual. Yeah. And I think at the point when you got to 2002 and, and David Jeffrey's accident happened was for sure the turning point. Although that turning point still took a few years, yeah. but it exposed a huge amount of kind of operational and cultural failings. Uh, and then there were other things that then would come later on where, you know, you've got, even even then, pre-centenary of the TT, you still, you had an event that had gone into a huge amount of decline, but it was still, it still had the history. It still had the, the like, yeah. kind of all of that prestige and whatnot. From the moment, or before I started working on it, up until this absolute day now, I've always felt it's a sleeping giant as a sports property. And only now do I think we are starting, even after I've worked on it for quite a long time, mm. only now do I think we're starting to tiptoe towards its actual potential as, um, in terms of like audience and awareness. It might be a difficult question to answer this one. Uh, and we are, and I asked Barty on a previous podcast, where, where do you think the TT would be right now if it, if it wasn't for you? So, well, no. So I don't think it's about me. I think it's about no. lots of different people. Yeah. But I think if, if things hadn't changed... Um, I think it would have been forced to stop. And, I, and the reason I say that is because the Motorcycle Industry Association in the UK had written to the Alaman government to say, the TT is now bad for our industry. Yeah. And if you don't sort this out, we're going to go to Whitehall and put, get them to put pressure on your government to stop this. You know, that's the... That's exactly what Bardi said. That's a big... That's yeah. like, you know... It was bad for press. It was bad for motorcycle. Yeah. It was bad for That's, that's as almost than... like as big as an external threat could get to it. Yeah. You know? It's feasible. And I think locally the, the, the view was that the TT would get to its centenary and stop. That was the view. I don't think anyone really locally thought it'd get to its centenary and then kick on. So then now you're in charge of it. How do you go about starting to... It's like a... It's like a what, what would the analogy be? Like trying to turn a, a cruiser, a yeah. cruise liner around. So How do you start? Yeah, I was 28 at the time. Uh, I had a huge amount of energy and not much experience. <laughs> Um, and I look back now and I regret a lot of things. You know, I was like a bit of a bull in the china shop. Although I would change a lot of things, I think all of that kind of, that, that approach probably helped because I, I didn't know what I didn't know and we just yeah. got some stuff yeah. done. And, and there was a lot of low-hanging fruit, really. Um, you know, like it was, it was kind of obvious that we needed to have an event there that was more professional, that was more engaged with the teams and the riders. It was obvious we needed to try somehow to get better teams to come, that we needed the but, manufacturers to come. Because at that point, they were struggling to get proper you know what I mean like 10 years or 20 years before that there was like you wouldn't have come to the TT yeah, it wouldn't was, a viable well, thing I'm not saying that I'm no, a level of writer but yeah yeah as, as, an, as example. an example yeah so 10 years previous to that there would literally the the top riders were yeah on a on a decent decrease do you know what yeah. I mean and, and that was whether, and if there's they, like anything if there's not top people whether it be tennis football or anything well why bother? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to watch it. So it needed, yeah. it needed that, you know, that sporting narrative. You need to be excited about it. We needed to, to look better, feel better. Um, it'd gone 100 years without any ownership of any of its own IP. So it didn't, the, T, the, the government didn't own the TT, yeah. you know? Um, and that has been a process that I think has probably taken us up to this year to conclude. That's how mm -hmm. That's a crazy thought, been, isn't it? That challenging that it's been. And no one, no one thought to... Yeah. So... Um, and, and then, of course, it had a cost base at that time. Um, it needed investment, um, but there was no income coming into it, really. There was hardly any sponsorship. There was no licensing, really. There was not really any ticket money. There was no broadcast money. 
Um, and again, like I said before, it was like the start of this kind of digital revolution. So the period, um, sort of five, six, seven to like the mid sort of 2010s, whatever you call that, um, TT went through enormous growth. Yeah. You know, better riders, better teams, um, better TV, a lot more eyeballs, a lot more people started coming. It, it grew attendance by 15,000 people per event. Um, and then and then millions of pounds worth of revenue was raised over that time to start you know, coming back into the event for the first time to offset the cost. But it was all done fairly organically. You know, it didn't, there wasn't a plan or a strategy and it grew really quickly and it became a problem for, for government really because, as I said right at the start, this unique situation where public sector is trying to do this thing with commerciality and sport and all the rest of it. Um, and all of, and, and, and the kind of political view was to try and then maybe try and outsource some of it and whatnot. So that kind of happened then. I can't remember at what stage. Um, that was the attempt to try and fix this problem that had been created by growth. Mm-hmm. Almost almost S- organic success unplanned. Success was yeah. a problem. But sorry, Paul, what was what was the, the catalyst for that regrowth? What what had you done? Like you said, there was some low hanging fruit. But what were the, those things? All that, those that things together, around? really. You know, um, so it, it started. But what, sorry, what what made the riders come back then? What made the bigger teams start to come back? There must um, have been an incentive for it them. Was, it was it was it was communication. You know, we used to like the, the the TT didn't didn't talk to riders and teams. You know, um, they just waited no, for entries to come in. Yeah, you'd either go yeah. off your own back yeah. because you wanted to go or you didn't go. Right. Well, I mean, like... a good example is your good friend Steve Plato, who was British super sport champion in like 98, I think, and he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a pro rider. Early in his career, I uh, wanted to do it um, and he entered, his name was in the program. Uh, as a professional bike rider, he needed to earn some money and, 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 and I don't think... He, from what I gather, he didn't like ask for a load of money. What to just cover some, some travel costs or whatever, and there was no conversation. It didn't happen, and he didn't ride. Of course, he did ride the TT, but right at the end of his career, and had some success straight away. But he probably should have had a fifteen-year yeah, TT, TT career. Probably, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I never knew that. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure '98. Yeah, um, like he was. You know, he, he was. He was a big man. thing yeah. in the UK. Um, so, you know, I can remember going to Brands Hatch British Superbike uh, in like I'm going to say the end of 2005 maybe and you know just sort of like with Milky and just sort of wandering around seeing people and nobody wanted to talk to you you know you were bad news bears you know nobody wanted to did, did those guys know who you were and well, why, no, if, why if, you if were we spoke, no but if we spoke to people right, okay. I can remember a good example um, uh, Gary Pynchon right Gary Pynchon was the sports editor of Motorcycle News and therefore quite an influential person and Motorcycle News back at that point in time pre-digital yeah. revolution was, was the thing you know you had yeah. to be and, and Motorcycle News's endorsement was important in the industry and Motorcycle News had, were anti-TT they weren't really doing much about it and they'd done some exposés on it and there, that was a ma- that was not a good marriage and I remember we re- wrote to Michael Guy said can we meet you and we sat down uh, not Michael Guy so he's current sports editor Gary Pynchon I said, we had a coffee with him and said, like, it's going to be this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do the other. And he said, I like your, I like your enthusiasm, boys, but it's just not going to happen. <laughs> a lovely guy, but, you know, fair play. And I can remember being at the same Brands Hatch, last BSB, end of the year, 12 months on. And I can remember seeing him across paddock. It's like, boys, 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 come, come, let's have a chat. Just in one year? In one year, yeah. And we just, it just, got, we just got some better riders. The, 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 the fix some of the easy stuff. The comms was better. The, 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 the marketing and promotion started to get better. 
I mean, if you look at it all now, from where we are now, it was rubbish, but it, it was the, the trajectory was moving from that to just absolutely nothing to, yeah. And we arrived at a point on the motorcycle news point of view quite quickly where the TT is by a million percent their best selling oh, yeah. edition, yeah. you know, always on the front page and, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a measure of success, but it's just like an indication of kind of a tick of the box of, of, of in what happened. And it just sort of built, built from there. And then, you know, um, the riders that we started to encourage to come across and some of the teams became advocates of the event. Like I always, I always said then, and I always say now that our event is the hardest, the most dangerous, um, the longest, you know, it's got a lot stacked against it. So we've got to be the best in terms of experience, in terms of customer service, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, to make it attractive because if there's any barriers you put up at our event people go away we saw that if you make the regs out of sync with everybody else well we're not going to build a bike for the Alaman yeah if we don't look after you in the paddock we're not going to go to the Alaman you know because so, it, it's 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 hard to be here it is when yeah. everything's good like I say this to people all the time yeah. like you really have to look after your mechanics and everything because they're here for like two and a half weeks do you know what I mean? Like silly little things. And that's not even on the scale of, of what, but as a team level, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a hard event. It's hard for the rider, hard for the staff, hard for your family, everything. But on his level is is tenfold, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're, like I say, changing regs and rules and that's yeah. another incentive, like that's maybe too much money for a team or yeah. it makes another that's, bike That's, that's a really or, good example. So the TT had its own rules for all of the classes. <laughs> Yeah. So you had to build a bike to come and yeah, race in the Alaman. Yeah, like now yeah. that's abs- even like what you've done for the Manx. There's no more 750s. No. That was literally the the only place in the world that raced the 750. Yeah. Was the Manx for probably the last 10 years. Yeah. If, if so, like there was kids buying like probably kids that didn't have enough money anyway. Whereas they had maybe a 600 to ride in England or Derby or whatever. Yeah, then then they had to buy. If you were genuinely wanted to win it. You had to buy a 750 Suzuki yeah. to... That's the thing. It's hard enough in the first place. Yeah. Why make it? Why make Why it add harder? more barriers? Yeah. And I think... Um, and then what really helped us was, we, you know, some riders came and rode in it. And I'm thinking back to, like, James Hillier, Connor Cummins, um, people like Gary Johnson, Cameron Donald, people from who were racing in various classes in the British Superbike paddock. Yeah. And they became advocates. They mm-hmm. said, we love it. It's great. Yeah. You know, uh, you should go and do it. And for a period of time, there was a lot of new riders and the TT needed a lot of new riders. Not so much now, but it needed an influx. And yeah. over the course of, I don't know, five years or so, it had a had a, an influx. Um, and many of them are now, well, the top 20 is full of that, that influx, really, you know. Yeah, yeah, that will have been my yeah. memory because I'm a little bit younger than all them guys, but like James, Gary, uh, Guy Martin, and even yeah. Michael was very, very young to come. Yeah. Mm. But even all them... And that was the first sort of surge of now. It not it sounds stupid to say it, it was cool to go, but it was all of a sudden. That was the thing. Not a, yeah. a, this thing over there. It was like, no. why is everybody going there? And then you and know, little you things want happened. You know, like this is this is this this will sound silly to some people, but Valentino Rossi came to the TT because he wanted to, and he basically came and said, "This is cool." So in at That's that point in time, yeah. if Valentino Rossi says it's cool, then it's cool. Yeah. Um, and then you know, sponsors were coming in, and they were helping speed that up you know a, a good sponsor is not about cash a good sponsor is about adding value and, and you know and using their audience and and, and and taking you forward and um and we went from you know the, the, when i started working on the tt the senior tt was sponsored by the by us by a by a shop in in douglas <laughs> a shop a shop yeah a shop a shopping center thing um 
and all the sponsors were like lo- you know, local companies, which there's, no, there's nothing wrong with. But it's, yeah. if, if you want, <laughs> if, if you, you want to be, yeah, and then all of a sudden it had you know major industry brands and blue chip companies that were sponsoring it, and um, it's just. It's a whole lot of things, you know, you keep asking me what, what was it, it's a whole lot of things and it sounds a bit sporadic and it was sporadic, there was no plan. It was just like, there's a lot of stuff here, let's just attack it. Yeah, and, you know, just throw it, as much shit at the wall you as know, you can. You know, you said yeah. obviously you were like at 28, you were very enthusiastic but no knowledge, but if someone said to 28 year old Paul what it is now, would you realistically, is this what you thought it was or is it took a... Is it past that now? No, right? it's not past it. Um, I still, I, I, like I said, I always felt it's a sleeping giant, still do, and I think we're only just, and I'll explain why, only just on that trajectory to get there. But the problem when you're 28, which actually you think you've got some maturity by 28, but like, you know, my daughter's 16 at the minute, you can't tell her anything. <laughs> but you just <laughs> like, you, yeah, you yeah, just, yeah. you know. But you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. know. And it's only now, as I got yeah. a bit older, I'm starting to appreciate like when people impart wisdom, like we're trying you know, to calm you down or trying to well just or anything in life you know but the thing well, is sometimes when you do know it it actually ends up restricting you, you and holding yeah, you back yeah absolutely you yeah. I don't, got fear rather yeah. than I don't think I would, would change much yeah. I don't know whether it would have been as successful without that yeah um, gone, some like, naivety yeah. but um, and at that point it's just you and Milky still uh, as the team started to grow at that started point. getting a few more staff yeah um, Milky was not working on it I started working on it full time Milky wasn't right. um, Milky's a mechanic um, uh, Jack of all trades, <laughs> master of none, you know, <laughs> bus driver. Yeah, you name it, he was doing it. But um, yeah, and started growing, and then, and then, like I say, it went through. It went, went through that attempt to take some of it externally, which failed, and it mm-hmm. failed really. Looking back for good reason, um, because it is so complex. You know, it needs the roads, it needs the hospital, it needs the police, it needs government to coordinate all these things. And it went into this period then, in the last few years before the um, pandemic, really, where. Uh, that had failed and we it was kind of there was some sort of uh, flux it was it was operating again still without any plan hadn't really fixed any of the underlying problems and um, a lot of the things that we would measure success by were plateauing so attendance income media coverage and what what year would this have been I'm talking 16, 17, 18, 19-ish I suppose and at this point and the thing that's arguably the most important point is talking about where we started to that point is that digital revolution had happened. Yeah. You know, so 05, probably didn't have a Facebook account. Yeah. No. You know, might use YouTube now and again. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram hadn't been invented. You know, all of a sudden we're in this really digital age and the TT was still very linear in terms of like content and distribution and all this kind of stuff. Um, and we were arriving at a point where you know, we're a bit asleep at the wheel probably and you've got massive generational and territorial gaps in it. And I mm-hmm. kept saying this as around that time that, you know, everybody's talking about the TT as this, you know, world, international, global event, but it's not. It's got an audience in the northwest of England of middle-aged men. Yeah. You know, which is ultimately <laughs> where it's at and and it ought not to. You know, it, it's, it's it, it, you know, it said right at the start, it's unbelievable and um, everybody should know that it's unbelievable were you worried with the direction you wanted to take it and what you wanted to achieve with it were you worried that you were going to upset those middle-aged men in the north to be honest because the the, the let's yeah let's call it tt history is, is yeah such a yeah and i've gone through a lot of that obviously um and 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 that will probably never never change but um 
for me personally at that time, I'd actually, my, my, I, I, I just, I thought we were never going to achieve, be able to achieve what personally and professionally I would like to achieve. Um, and um, I was kind of, I was kind of done with it really. And I think I just, I'd lost a lot of passion and, um, because you got to a point of where it wasn't going yeah. to take the next step. And I probably didn't also know what that was because you're in this kind of like annual cycle of doing it and, and all the other stuff that sits around it and you never really had that thing. So when it got cancelled in 20 in March, obviously everything was going crackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember feeling relieved that it was being cancelled. I can remember thinking, I'm, I, I'm glad I don't have to go through another cycle. one. And I remember, th- and, I, and I, I said to my wife, I said, like, that's, that is the opportunity now to get out of this, you know. And so the plan was to get out of it. Yeah, and I had, some, I had a couple of other opportunities as well at that time. And I was like, um, you know, this is, this is it's painful because I really, really, really love the TT. You know, it's not like just, I've just got a job. I grew up with this thing, you know. Yeah. But I thought, this is the opportunity to, because to, this is just not, it's not good. It wasn't good for like it was stressful, you know, and it wasn't necessarily as rewarding as, as I was, I didn't enjoy my work basically. Yeah. You know, um, uh, anyway, the pandemic came and, um, my boss now, who was fairly new in the job at the time, is the chief executive of our department with a very, very wide remit of which we're only a tiny little bit. Um, you know, I had some pretty frank conversations with him and he kind of persuaded me really and, and persuaded me to, to, to stay on the basis that, the ambition that I felt we should have for the event was realistic and we could do it. Um, and I, he kind of motivated me and, and we basically started on a big review. We kind of ripped everything up and, 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 and we're really inward facing, quite self-critical of, you know, as an organization and, and, and everything. And, um, that's impressive, isn't it? That someone, cause like normally it would be the other way around. You would have had to motivate the, is the council as such your boss you know what I mean for someone in that department like that to me that seems yeah strange that he was willing to yeah and 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 being absolutely true to his word um and um and we got given the opportunity to do this work we produced the TT's first strategy so I said before we'd gone through all this time without a plan the first strategy yeah 115 (laughs) years um but Formula One didn't have a strategy for 60 odd years, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we delivered that in January 21. And we spent a lot of time, you know, Zoom became our friend. And we spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time of selling that in to everybody and got almost unanimous support from all the kind of key groups across TT, whether that was the riders, the teams, the sponsors, the broadcasters, other parts of government, the, the, the voluntary so, you know, the, the marshals, the medics, the, 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 the race organization. And um, that plan was basically a, a, a foundation for delivering success. Um, we were able to um, raise some investment from Treasury over some plans, you know, to, like, uh, to pump prime plans that would, that would deliver more income. Um, that's obviously a big challenge because you can see that the costs are going to always go up mm-hmm. and if you want to be sustainable which is kind of the, 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 the whole basis of our strategy is like delivering a sustainable event one that we can put on for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and, and we've and we come back and we're on this new trajectory I meant I just I said it in 
with my team the other day talking about like we're in a 10 lap race and we've done two laps so we can't make any mistakes you know right now this mm -hmm. is still quite a long race you know um but i just feel like we're, we've come back much more fit for purpose we're growing audience like unbelievably quick um and there's a lot going on around the tt at the moment and i think you know our ambitions it's certainly if you're looking like the kind of league table of motorsport are not to be a bit better than some of the stuff closest to us is to be right up there in 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 the in the kind of top five or six properties globally mm -hmm. um and that's where the tc should be okay we're going to pause the conversation right there with paul and we'll get back to this chat next week and here is a little teaser of what's to come there are far more sophisticated sports than ours with bigger bigger budgets but they might not get as much traction as us in this world because they're just not as cool or as exciting as, yeah. as ours you know like vid like look at look at like i don't use tiktok right yeah, you do. Um, no, I don't. It does. But I get it. And, you know, we're flying there. That's going to be out next week on all your podcast feeds. But if you want an exclusive first listen and look, head over to TT Plus right now where the video is available to watch. IOMTTRacers.com is your place for all your features on how to sign up to TT Plus. TTplus.iomttracers.com is the place to find out how to sign up for TT Plus and also you can get all your latest news and features from there. And over on the socials, if you want to check us out, it's at... I've got no idea. At TT Racers Official. Say it. You say it and I'll... At TT Racers Official. There we go. Until next time. At TT Racers Official. How do they say bye in, in the Isle of Man? Is it like a little... Bye. Bye.